It may look like an odd bulge in your abdomen or groin, and it could come and go during different activities. Hernias are a common injury and often require surgery. Of the 1 million hernia repairs done every year in the U.S., most will have mesh placed at the injury site, a repair with a high rate of success and patient satisfaction. But some people prefer an alternative procedure called the Schuldice approach, which avoids mesh in favor of using the patient's own tissue to repair a hernia. Today, we speak with Dr. Samer Sabai, a leading expert in both surgical approaches. He recently joined Glen Cove Hospital and serves as Associate Chair of Surgery. He is also a professor of surgery at Hofstra Northwell. Dr. Sabai, welcome to the show. Rob, thanks for having me. This is definitely a privilege. We're talking about hernias today, which are very common, and these two different approaches to repairing hernias. But first, let's talk a little bit about uh, hernias in general. Basically, what is a hernia? Hernia basically is a space which allows for something else to pass through it. So uh, when we relate to our body, um, it's a space between muscles. And uh, muscles are meant to keep everything in your belly. So it's like a container. Um, so when you have that space, pressures basically define the path that things start to move. So if you cough, if you bear down on the toilet, pressure's got to go through this area of least resistance. So it'll tend to go through these weak areas and they start almost from zero, something that's little. And then over time, they can actually increase in size. And so people will start to appreciate things based on symptoms, like I feel something weird or they look down. Where did that come from? So it'll compare it to the other side and say, there's definitely something different. And that usually prompts them to start looking online. Yeah, when you say something, you look down and there's something different there. What is that, like a bump? Yeah, so it's definitely a bump. It's in the groin. So we're talking about inguinal hernias, which are groin hernias, which are immensely common, you know, and males. It's about 24%. Yeah, that's kind of a staggering number, 24%. I remember my mom used to tell me when I was young, don't lift that up. That's too heavy. You'll get a hernia. Why do people get hernias? Hernias, by design, you're going to have it. I mean, that's what we know for sure right? 24% of males will have it. Probably four to 5% of females will have it. But indeed, I mean, if your work involves a jackhammer every day, if it involves, you know, you're at the gym and you're lifting that big 18 wheeler tire across, you know, the hall all the time, you are challenging the forces that are in your belly um, constantly. And so, and you're challenging their insertion points on bones. As long as you continue to challenge these forces and that container that holds in everything in your belly, you're going to eventually develop something. You will. But it doesn't mean you don't, you don't lose of your quality of life. You can't, I mean, you can't walk around and say, I'm not going to do this because it's going to be a hernia. No, you, we know it's there. We know how to diagnose it when it does develop and we know how to take care of it. So just tell me how debilitating a severe hernia could be in, in patients. So, of course, hernias present in different sizes and patients might catch it at an early, you know, uh, point in time and you can deal with them and they're not, you know, that, that bothersome, but it's, it's something that nags there. Um, it's, it's a bulge. It puts your abdominal core into some imbalance. And so your body, without you knowing, is probably compensating to do your activities. And the bigger it is, the more compensation you're probably doing and the more stress you're probably adding to the compensating muscles of your body. So the size can be debilitating to the point where it actually can, for males, if it sneaks into the scrotal sac, it could be the size of a grapefruit. 
a bowling ball. And you could imagine what the implications are with just simple walking or sitting on the toilet. So I, you know, this can grow to a point where it's very debilitating and it limits your activity. Hence loss of productivity time in society. That's a big deal. When do most people get hernias? Is it earlier in life? Is it middle age? Is it all ages? You'll have pediatric population, adolescent population, and the adult population. Let's talk about a little bit about the different types of hernias. What is the most common one? So the most common hernias are the abdominal wall hernias. So your belly and your groins. There's actually potentially four to five weak areas in the groin. And there's a direct and indirect, the spigalian hernia, a femoral hernia, and an obturator hernia as well, which is the least common in the groin. Femoral hernias, if they're going to happen, they're more common in females, older females over the age of 60. But by far, the most common abdominal wall hernia is an inguinal hernia, and that's a groin hernia. Um, You've got hernias that can develop in the midline, in the middle of your belly, just above your navel, between your, uh, your, your, uh, your chest wall. Those are called epigastric hernias. You've got hernias that develop right at the navel. That's called umbilical hernias. You've got back hernias, which could develop, which are called lumbar or flank hernias as well. And then you've got a different other sort of hernia, which is anybody who's had an incision on their belly can have something called an incisional hernia. And there's a certain percentage of people who will be prone to have a hernia because of that. Is there anything we can do, you know, to prevent hernias? Is there any precautions that we take? Do we need to eat more broccoli, do more stretching? Is there anything that that can help us prevent getting a hernia in life? Certainly an active lifestyle will, will, you know, keep your muscles toned enough to keep everything in them, you know, in the belly. Remember we talked about that container. So the containers, the container wall is basically your muscles. So keeping those toned, I'm sure it can help, right? I don't know if there's any data on that. Um, if you have now what's coming out as well, if you've have an incision on your belly, there's recommendations to prophylactically, like preemptively put a piece of mesh in there to reinforce the closure and minimize, uh, incisional hernias as well. You brought up mesh. How is that used to treat hernias? And are there different types of procedures? There are different ways to approach this. Most hernias are elective, um, which means you have time to plan. Um, and you can add it to a surgeon's schedule. It's nothing you have to run or rush into the operating room. Uh, again, that I found that needs a lot of education because most patients will ask you, is this something that's going to kill me? Well, not today, but we do have pl- time to plan for it. We want you to be in the best condition possible. You need to see your primary care provider, make sure all your medical issues are you know, aligned well and you're on the right medications and you're ready for surgery. So you have time. How do you treat them? It could be an open repair with mesh. It could be an open without mesh. It could be robotic or laparoscopic as well. So paint a picture for us. So what does mesh look like? In my mind, I'm seeing like a patch that gets, you know, covers this hole and gets sewn in. Patch is exactly correct. I mean, in my mind, it's like, you know, how you patch up drywall. I mean, it's that sometimes they'll sell these patches. It looks like a mesh. That's exactly what it looks like. Sometimes it's weaved. Um, So that's mesh. But meshless means that you're using the patient's tissue. Doing some research for this conversation, I saw that meshless hernia repair is a good option for people with environmental allergies. Why would someone choose meshless over mesh? I mean, there's a a big community of people who don't want implantables in them for various reasons. Many people have allergies. People have told me that they walk into hotel rooms and they break out in hives 
So they're very, you know, they're very concerned about being exposed to elements that they have no knowledge of that may affect them adversely. This has moved me into t discussing suture material with people because they'll ask me, what are you using for suture? And they Google it and they find out, well, I've had an issue with this, Vicryl, for example, or there's a lot of talk about proline on, you know, online. What's your thing about this? And so I've I've started to give samples of material to people. They go to their allergist and they do patch testing, which is approximating what would really happen to them. So for those people, how does this meshless repair, uh, which is called the shoulder, shoulder ice approach work? So what is a shoulder ice repair? It is a tissue repair. It's not using mesh. And when you do use mesh, you're sewing it to the groin muscles and reinforcing the floor. It's like a patch. When you use, when you use the shoal ice procedure, you are sewing muscles to each other, um, and you're using permanent suture. Shoal ice used stainless steel, and ever since they've used that in the early days, it has stuck with them till now. I mean, you have to remember that historically, this was the foundation for hernia repairs, and this was developed and published first by Dr. Bassini in like the 1880s. The Bassini repair traditionally when it came out was a single layer repair with interrupted sutures. And interrupted sutures means you took one bite from one side to the next and you sewed it, you tied it down. Took another bite, one side to the next, tied it down. The Sholize repair was using the same length of suture and continuously sewing, like hemming your pant, all right? So you sew it in four layers. You sew it together and then you preserve the nerves that way you've also you've sort of really guaranteed to the point that you actually will give them a very reliable and durable repair. Um, and then that addresses the bulge. It in most times the consequence of taking care of the bulge actually addresses the pain. Right. So I think there's a, it is it is was this interesting shift with hernias where most hernias were treated without mesh, but then mesh became available and then it seems like that's the go-to procedure. Definitely. So in, in the 60s, mesh came out. Um, it was found to be uh, a big innovation because it helped minimize recurrences. And it basically caught on. I, mesh really morphed into different phases of its presence and how it was created. And patients used to feel it. I mean, when it was placed in, now it's lighter, it's weaved, it's got bigger holes in it so it can integrate better now. But mesh uh, is the recommendation by most societies now. In fact, all societies. But there is a, an isolated place in Toronto, just north of Toronto, called the Shoalice Hospital. They've been around for about 80 years. Um, and that was an evolution and process where they came to be the only mesh-free place in the world that actually has a great recurrence rate, which actually beats mesh. Um, this is debatable in the surgical community, but their data shows it. They're the only ones who have that volume of data to really prove that. And so that is a real option. And when patients start the search, so there's so much online now, they have options. And when they go to their surgeon, they will ask, and we have to be ready to answer these questions. And to be honest with you, you can actually poll residents and see who's ever seen this before, and the chances are none, right. just because it's so few in between that we use it. So mesh is the recommended right. treatment, but you like to do meshless. I like to because... I have that added experience. I, I was, I've been to the Shoalice Hospital. I was employed there, and that's the only way you can get the training there. You can actually show up and you get trained. There's no fellowship. I left the Shoalice Hospital having done about 650, 
I've doubled that since 2016, easily. And when you go there, it's jaw-dropping because it's totally against what we've been trained. All of us are trained with mesh, and now it's minimally invasive. So why I like it? Because they have the data. Shoalice apparently does 27% of Ontario's hernias. There's 15 million people in Ontario. So over a period of about 14 years, they looked at about 235,000 people, and they found out that 60,000 plus were done at the Shoalice Hospital, and they wanted to look at recurrences. They confirmed the data that Shoalice published. It's 1.15%. And the community hospitals, it's anywhere from 4 to 5% with mesh. Yeah, so, so who is the best candidate then for a meshless procedure? So the best candidate for this is somebody with a BMI of 29 or less. So if you're on the thinner side, it is more amenable to sewing it together with minimal tension. And in my mind, when I see that person, I can say, listen, with, with confidence, that if I give you a meshless procedure, let's say, let's call it, it by its right name, Shoalice procedure, um, that your recurrence rate is going to be 1% or less and your chronic pain rate is going to be 3 in 1,000. That I'm confident to, to recommend to patients. The two ways that you, can, you should actually measure the quality of a hernia repair, which a lot of the data publishes, has to do with recurrence rates. So how, how often does it come back? Um, and chronic pain. So chronic pain is defined by most authorities. It's ongoing, moderate to severe pain uh, that lasts somewhere between three to six months and beyond. Right? And so it's, it's almost incapacitating. I have had people come to me in tears about how much it has limited their life. And people, I've had people have suicidal ideation because of the PTSD they get from chronic pain. And then I've seen the counter when you actually take care of them, their life is back. They still have some of that PTSD still, but they're back to functionality. It's incredible. So what is the option then for people who have a BMI of 29 or over? So in my practice, I've sort of, it's helped me divide who I offer meshless and who I offer uh, mesh. Um, so I usually will offer a laparoscopic procedure or robotic with mesh. And those who are interested in losing weight, while well, I hook them up uh, in a program with my hospital and with a dietitian, and we work on losing weight. So they lose weight before the surgery? Or? Yes. Okay. So yes. then they would become eligible. Absolutely. And you had mentioned that you could do this surgery, which I, I like if, you know, I'm, I mean, and I guess just being, you know, a middle-aged man, I could become a candidate for hernia repair, but you, you mentioned that it can be done robotically. Tell Absolutely. Me about, tell me how that works. So robotic, you really can't talk about surgical training now without talking about robotic surgery now. It's just, it's so infiltrated into our training program. So robotic is a minimally invasive and which means small holes. We put our instruments into holes that are no bigger than the size of my thumb give you a reference, my thumb is probably a centimeter, probably half an inch. And so you put a port through there, it's a channel, you put your instrument through there, you insufflate, you blow up your belly with some CO2 gas, which is very safe to the patient. By the way, you don't feel any of this because you're asleep, you're under general anesthetic. Um, and you create the working space. And using robotics and the high degree of resolution, it's 3D. Um, and the instruments now with the robotics, it functions almost like your hand on the inside. It is so much easier now to sew with these instruments. And hence, it enhances our ability to function as surgeons and do better. I would assume that improves recovery time. Absolutely. So with smaller holes, that's what it's touted for. And that's what, that's what the data shows is that you have a quicker recovery time. Again, 
look at uh, and mesh free now, I'm sure that's the next question is, well, what's the pain like with recovery time? Well, there is a little bit more pain involved, but surprisingly, they bounce back to activity. I've had patients by the end of two weeks, they're running, running, jogging, swimming, climbing. It's incredible. To have a hernia repair and send you to a, you know, a lifestyle that's less meaningful than what you were before, that is not the objective. The objective, even with mesh, is the high level of quality that suits your lifestyle. What are some of the complications people should be aware of for hernia repairs, both with mesh and without mesh? When you're quoted a percentage of hernia complications by any surgeon, it's usually in the range of about 10%. Best case scenario, it could be about 3%. And you keep in mind, if it's a 10% problem, right? And we do a million in the US, which is a lot of people, right? You say 1% of that for the shoulder lice repair, it's much less people. Yeah. You mentioned a million hernia repairs. Is that the number of repairs that are done in the U.S. each year? Yes. So that is the number of approximate number of total hernias done in the U.S., inguinal hernias, ventral hernias, which are abdominal wall hernias, which we talked about the belly button, the epigastric area as well, the upper belly with incisions. Those are about 600,000. What does that manifest as? What does it present itself as a complication from hernia surgery? It could be a recurrence and the hernia came back. It may not be the same area. It may have snuck, you know, a, a portion of the mesh may have failed and that's where the hernia comes back. And the same thing with the shoulder ice repair. If you're going to have a recurrence, it's probably going to be somewhere where it failed, where the sutures failed, and that's going to sneak through there. So it won't be the exact same thing. And then you can have neuropathic pain as well, which has to do with nerves. That's pain from nerves or loss of sensation. How do we manage that? We manage that by anesthetics initially. So we'll inject the local anesthetic, test it and see if it works. And sometimes we'll add steroids. It actually will work most of the time. When it doesn't work and it's still debilitating pain, then you have to talk about surgery. And surgery, you might have to go back in there and you might have a mesh infection. I've done that. I've had patients come to me who've had a, a complication from mesh um, and then they come and they say, listen, I want a tissue repair. I want that shoulder ice repair, but I want you to remove my mesh. So I, you really have to have the, and this is why specialists have really come up to the fore. You've got these standalone uh, places and facilities that do this. It's because they're comfortable. They, um, they have a good command of the anatomy in that space. The anatomy changes once you put mesh in there. It changes less with the tissue repair just because the amount of inflammation and reaction that you have from the mesh is much more than when you do a tissue repair. So my preference is to repair recurrence from a tissue repair as opposed to a mesh repair just because the technical ability that it needs, but I'm comfortable doing that, but it takes more time. So I mentioned at the top of the show that you recently joined Glen Cove Hospital, which is part of the Northwell Health System. And because of that, Glen Cove's hernia center is now the only one on Long Island performing this meshless surgery. But of course, you guys also do the mesh surgery. And what's also, I think, fascinating is that you're training new physicians to do both. So totally thrilled to be at Glen Cove. Um, it actually gives me a lot more opportunity to focus on my private practice, which is the hernia practice. Um, so I have a lot more time to actually uh, follow the patients even after surgery. Um, my practice involves, interestingly, I, a lot of the hernia stuff actually followed me. I did very little advertising for that. But again, it's, it's patients online who are sort of surfing. And so that's been very interesting. And so from the training aspect now, we've started to get actually a resident a month from Northwell. Um, and so they spend the whole month with us and they get to see other procedures, not just mine. 
Um, but there's a wealth of um, surgical operations that we're doing at Northwell. We're considered a destination area for a few things. And one of them is actually this mesh-free repair, which is the shoelace repair. It's awesome. So you mentioned people are traveling for this. So they're coming from Glencove. Where are they coming from? Uh, it's very interesting, actually. I've In my past practice, I had... I've had somebody from France and from Jamaica, from Hawaii. Um, this year, we actually, we've, we've drawn up a map. I've only been there since November, but I've managed to do maybe about 15 cases a month. So December, January, February, and now into March. Um, so these people come from all over the U.S. How exciting is it for you to be training the, the surgeons in this technique for the future? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, if I get a hernia, I need somebody to repair it. I might go back to Canada, but I'd much rather stay here on Long Island and get it done. So totally ecstatic, need to get them trained ASAP. Yeah. So you're talking about training people. Um, do you see more people wanting to be trained in this technique, uh, you know, nationally? And is that the trend now? And, and I know that you speak at some national conferences. Yeah. The, the exposure is pretty interesting and amazing because it gives you a good anatomical lesson. Patients are very particular about researching what other options they have. So mesh is coming, uh, sorry, mesh free is coming to the fore in the, in the, in the form of shoelace repair. Clearly this is a main staple at all the national conferences. There's somebody speaking about tissue repairs and when to use them and how to do them. There are labs at national conferences. The field is totally expanding um, and it's, and it's turning into more specialized areas. Excellent. Well, Dr. Samar Sabai, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. Thank you, Rob. This has been a pleasure. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day and stay safe.